And this is episode 11 with Mark Bennett. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface Podcast. I had the opportunity to attend a fundraising breakfast event organized by the Washington State Opportunity Scholarship on October last year. And even though I was looking forward to the keynote speaker, best-selling author Angela Duckworth, the speaker that followed, former homeless-turned-UW scholar Mark Bennett, stole the show for me. Mark's story is pretty incredible. At 17, he became a father, and he was addicted to alcohol and drugs. Fast forward, he ended up homeless and lost custody of his son. But after hitting rock bottom, Mark turned his life around for him and his son, and now he's working towards getting a master's in math at the University of Washington. In this episode, we talk about why Mark wanted to join a gang in middle school, what he thinks teachers can do to better support students abusing drugs and alcohol, and how young adult shelters are more than just a bed. Finally, we talk about how Mark decided to choose to major in math. Enjoy. Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for letting me be here. You were uh, doing a speech at a breakfast talk uh, where Angela Duckworth, yep. the best-selling author of Grit, was uh, giving a keynote speech. Yeah. I was so impressed with your story. I literally walked through the crowds <laughs> to introduce myself and say, hey, what's your name? Um, I definitely want to have you on the show so that we can share this incredible story that you have. Well, I'm honored, and I was honored to be at the to be able to give uh, my story, share my story, with Angela Duckworth. Yeah, that was that was amazing. So to get started, could you tell me a little bit about what was your childhood like? I just kind of felt neglected. I always felt like I was poorer than everybody else. I always felt like I, um, I didn't belong. You know, when I would ask my dad about things like that, he would say that we don't have enough money, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, my dad was always busy on the computer and he was always working on the computer. And my mom, she was kind of dealing with her own kind of, um, you know, she had mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so she was kind of dealing with the mental illness and she had kind of come from a, a rough background. So she was just kind of um, not always there, but she was there. And then, uh, you know, um, I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And so what specifically did your mom have? She had, uh, you know, she had schizoaffective. You said that your parents love you, but they didn't know how to express, express it in a healthy way. What do you mean with that? Yeah. I mean, I think the neglect, I think neglect is a form of not being able to show your love in an appropriate way. And I think that always telling your child that they're poor, you know, in the household, it was always focused on probably my dad and his things that he needed to do. And it was less focused on, you know, how do I make my child feel kind of, you know, special or know that he's important or, you know, children, you know, because they had because I have a brother and sister. Is there anything that you had in mind as far as what you wanted to be when you were a kid? No, no, no. I think that there was a point where I wanted to be a lawyer and then there was a point where I wanted to be a psychologist. Who would you say influenced you most growing up? There was a there was a um, teacher. Her name was Miss Myers, mm-hmm. and uh, she it was my sixth grade teacher. She was like my second grade teacher and like my third grade teacher. She was she was a constant 
in those early years. Anyway, she would she she really motivated me to um, finish my homework, finish my schoolwork, and she was just she was just caring. Now, you said that you know part of going through I, I believe middle school was that you ended up feeling that in order to fit in with a specific group of kids that you wanted to to hang out with, you had to become a gangster like them. Yeah. Right? And the question that I had when you said that is, did you feel at that point that you ended up fitting in? I think I did. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, you know, I think that uh, what it was is that, you know, I go to school and I don't feel like I'm power, like I don't have any kind of real friendships. I don't feel like I have connections or something. There's that feeling that's missing. So I'm looking for it. And then you see these kids on the streets and you see people who are older than, you know, older. And it's like, you want to, you want to be cool. I want to be cool, man. So, you know, 13 or so, I start hanging out with people who are, you know, older and they like kids who are going to do whatever they tell them to do, you know? And so I was hanging out with like 18 year olds and, you know, drink with them or, or do whatever, you know, they asked me to do. And, you know, they're automatically going to like you for it because it's like, you're there their pawn so so it was um it yeah definitely i mean i think that there was there was real relationships to some degree but i mean i think that whole kind of uh culture there was toxic right so it's like you can't really talk about um relationships in there can you tell me more about what was like to have a son uh, at the age of 17 and how did that affect your your life at that time if you asked me at that time, I would have been like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm going to make everything happen. I'm going to be the best parent ever. I'm going to be better than my dad. And then if you had, but if you, if you were on the outside looking in, you'd be like, this guy is falling apart and he doesn't even know it. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, uh, sure enough, that's what happened. <laughs> and then, and then you said that led to drinking or were you drinking before that? Or oh, I mean, I started drinking when I was like 13. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think was the ultimate thing that led your dad to kick you out of the house? After after me and uh, my son's mom kind of split and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of bad things kind of happened between me and my other friends, you know, um, I just kind of became bitter and me and him got into an altercation. And this time he uh, he just he wanted to keep it that way. Now, I have a. Uh special question from someone because I share your story with a couple of people and I told them that I was going to meet with you. Uh -oh. One of them, her name is Georgia Suter. Okay. And she is a future high school teacher. Uh, okay. And she wanted me to ask you, what would be your advice to a person who works with youth during high school who is noticing that one of their students is abusing drugs and alcohol and in danger of dropping out of school? How could someone have best supported you in that time? The people who helped me out the most were the people who um, they sat with me and they said, uh, you know, they, they loved me even though I made mistakes. So so I think that that's a really important skill to be able to love people even though they're making mistakes. Because if I can come to you and tell you how much I'm screwing up, then I can come to you and tell you that I have a problem with drugs and alcohol. Now, after your dad kicked you out of the house, yeah. you said you ended up dropping out high school and ultimately homeless. What was that like? Well, I got kicked out of places to places. So I was like living with friends' house, mm -hmm. friends' house, friends' house. And, and uh, it was just demoralizing. Um, and then, you know, there was a lot of pride about becoming a homeless person. 
but you know the reality was i was a homeless person before that even happened you know i was i mean you know homeless i think homelessness happens before kind of the actual homelessness i think it's kind of a state of mind in some sense what would you say was the specific event the turning point for you to seek help entering your uh, transition transition into the, an adult shelter so i i uh, got kicked out of the last place that i was going to stay i got really drunk I went and hung out with some people. I don't even know who these people are. I was supposed to be responsible. I was supposed to be with my sister and watch my take care of my sister because she was going through a hard time. And instead, I went and got drunk and uh, got jumped by some people and uh, came back to her house at like six in the morning, escorted by cops, just drunk and bloodied up pretty much. And so it was like I knew I knew that um I knew that she didn't want anything to do with me after that because I can't be responsible. I couldn't be responsible. So I knew that I was going to become homeless. And um, so then I just started making phone calls. So you went to the shelters, then you went to some special housing, but ultimately you had some support from the community yeah. while you were uh, recovering from your addictions. What was the process like to transition out of the shelter? They connected me with um, barista training education program. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to make coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I figured, you know, in Seattle, you know, you can't go wrong with being able to make coffee. Uh -huh. And then I, uh, I started school before I started getting working. Um, how do you uh, pay for school? Uh, well, there was financial aid. So financial aid was a big part of that. How did you decide on math as a career you wanted to pursue? It was happenstance, really. I mean, I, I went to school. I started off in Math 98 or Math 84, so it was like pre-level. It was one of the lower level math classes that you could get into. And it wasn't too hard to uh, spend a lot of time on studying, you know, the algebra book. And so I started doing the algebra, and I, you know, I got like 104 on the test and all that kind of stuff. And it was like wow, you know, 104 on a test, you know? And so it was like, you know, maybe I belong, you know? And I just kept on going like that. And so I kept on getting like this positive. And then um, there was a professor there. Um, her name is Miss Chin, and I still talk to her. And she came to my graduation, and she's she's an important person in my life. So relationships have been super important. But she kind of encouraged me to keep going. She, You know, she was like, this is... This, this is, you know, this is good, you know, 104%, you know? So I kept going, and then I think I remember I was in a trigonometry class. And um, I remember when we first started talking about sines and cosines and kind of looking, relating how, relating how they're, you know, like a, a, you can relate a function to a ball moving on a circle. And for some reason that blew my mind. I don't know. It was like. That gave you the context of what you could do with math. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I realized that actually in my math classes, and I've been actually looking for those moments in my math classes so every time some new concept comes up you know like decomposing fractions it's like uh, you know it's like i once the teacher gives me the keys to the kingdoms it's like you know in the sense that like i learned whatever it is my mind's blown you know so it's like i actually maybe i really like math you know so that was kind of my first hint towards it and then i just kept going and then um i ended up taking almost all the math classes at seattle central you know what's most interesting interesting to me is there is a big push for for math science technology uh engineering yeah and i forgot what's the stem so science technology engineering math and math of course yeah, math yeah. i can't believe yeah. i forgot the one uh, <laughs> that you... yeah yeah no worries no worries <laughs> yet you know i think a lot of people uh or most students they take a math class and 
I'm basing this on my experience working with um, kids as a tutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was at the university. And it seems like if they are good at math, the first thing that comes into mind is, oh, I want to do business. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do accounting. I'm yeah. going to do finance. Yeah. How, and I would call you an outlier. Yeah. Did you go from, I'm good at math. I'm going to change the world through math and not going to make money in a business with my math. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think, um, I, I think when I think about math, I, I like, uh, I like to understand how it works and I like to play with it and I like to, you know, and I don't think I want to steer away from, mm -hmm. from that, you know, and I know that, um, people who are doing stuff in finance and stuff like that, they're using math to do something. Whereas like, I kind of want to be able to explore the math. Now we're moving now close to the last questions to wrap up here. Yeah. Um, uh, where, where are you at today? Obviously now you're independent. Uh, you now live with your son? Yeah, it's me, my brother, and my son. I always joke it's like two and a half men, except for <laughs> <laughs> there's only there's only uh there's only one woman and then there's uh there's no alcohol. Yeah, I don't drink. Um and uh so that's the most boring two and a half men that you've ever watched. But <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it's me, my brother, and my son. We live in, in in an apartment and we just um we're just trying to make things happen, man. We're just trying to keep growing. Now we're on the last question. All right. You can take your time because it's not an easy one to answer. Uh oh. <laughs> if today was your last day on earth and any journals you have, any writing, any sign of your work, if that was all to disappear, but you could leave your loved ones and the world behind you with three truths behind that they need to know about life. What those three truths would be? That's a hard question. Wow. That's a, um, I got to throw somewhere in there, like practicing love. I think that's a very important thing for everybody to do. And I think it's much more important to not hold on to, again, holding on to your resentments, not so good. Being able to love people, um, is, is something that, uh, is courageous. It's brave and it's, and it's the right thing to do. Um, and it's, it's the thing that I think makes people successful. Um, service. I think service is a very important part of being a person. I mean, being a person who's trying to grow and be successful. So, um, and then I guess maybe the last one, a commitment to, to knowledge, to learning. You know, I think so. I think that if 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 somebody's willing to do those three things, I think that they're probably in a good shape. <laughs> Love people, be serving, keep learning. Thank you so much, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And that was my interview with Mark Bennett. Mark's developing story reminded me of a message by one of my favorite preachers, Bishop T.D. Jakes, where he describes pain in our lives as an arrow. Paraphrasing, he says, if your life has been tough and it has been hard, that was just the arrow being pulled back so that when you're released, you can thrust after the thing you're after. 
so you don't have to grieve about what you didn't get and what didn't happen and how you were treated and who didn't raise you and who didn't love you. You don't have to grieve about it at all. Once you understand the greater the digression, the stronger is the progression. So what you think is working against you is actually working for you. You can access these episodes notes alongside other resources at bit.ly slash BTS EP011. Finally, if you enjoyed listening to this interview, I would love to hear from you by leaving me a review on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in and remember to live a life that moves you.